Oh no, nah, man, he just uh, he just been wearing that chain all year, man. It just been growing on me. So I said, if he wear that chain in front of me, I'm gonna snatch it off. So he wore it in front of me, so I had to snatch it off. Oh, he started crying to the ref. He called for the ref. Ref. He ain't said nothing to me though. Welcome to episode five of the Setting the Edge podcast here with Justice Mosqueda. My handle is at J-U-M-O-S-Q, the Jew Mosque. Here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. His at is four verts. Uh, skip the pleasantries. Don't tell the people what's up this week. We're going straight into it. Michael Crabtree got his motherfucking chain snatched. <laughs> like, <laughs> bro, where were you when this happened? Because you, you went down to the Atlanta game, right? That we were right about. They, uh, the Saints covered, right? Yeah. Uh, Saints covered in shootout. We were right again. So man, pat was, yourself. I, I was uh, I was actually running late to the game, and uh, I was in an Uber uh, going from the Atlanta, Atlanta airport to the Georgia Dome, which is a horrible mistake. Atlanta traffic is the worst. And I'm just looking at my phone, and <laughs> I just see Akeem Tlaib just snatch Michael Crabtree's chain right off his neck in the middle of a football game. And I just lost, like, I was in tears laughing. And this lady's Bro. like, she was like, She's like, what's wrong with you? What's so funny? I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm just being stupid right now. But uh, like, that was that was maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen on a football field. Dog, by far the funniest thing I've ever seen on a football field before. So like, I was watching Red Zone and that happened, and I just like, I just kept thinking like, yo, Andrew Ceciliano is about to throw this and be like, yo, back in Oakland, like, fuck, like uh, Michael Crabtree just like beating down on the keep to leave with his helmet. Like, what the hell is going on? All right. So first off, Michael Crabtree is a buster. Okay. Oh, for not ab- doing absolutely, anything. absolutely. How do you not do anything? This is a dude who once held out on a rookie contract. This dude used to have confidence. I don't. I don't it's know sad. what happened to him. Like, I'm mad that he got a contract extension with Oakland. Because if I'm Reggie McKenzie, Michael Crabtree walked in my office and was like, "I need an extension." I'd be like, "So, <laughs> like, yo, go check on Derek. Go fluff Derek's pillows. Make sure he's okay." Man, it's crazy. Can you take out the trash? Can you take out the trash on your way out? It's not even like like, like Akeem Tlaib wanted the chain. He just he just. <laughs> He just bro. He just it, like he just snatched it right off his neck and just legitimate disrespect. <laughs> disrespect. Just goes up to him. I'm gonna break this thing, and you're not gonna do shit about <laughs> it. And what did he do? He didn't do shit about it. And like a keep to leave. So one thing, a keep to leave. I've seen like five different like a keep to leave at his locker at his locker after the game videos on like Twitter like this year. One suspicious amount of sniffing. All right, oh, that dude's yeah. sinuses are messed up. I'm, that, I'm not gonna say here or there. That might be one reason why Michael Crabtree didn't want to fight him. Don't fight people who uh, have suspicious nasal injuries. Uh, but second, like, if you're going to fight him, like, haven't, haven't both of you guys having helmets on? Probably your safest bet. Yeah. Uh, wow. But, like, I mean, Akita Leaf said the same thing. He was like, man, he didn't do anything. He looked to the ref. And, like, yeah, he, he, said, he said he was crying to the ref. It was so funny because, like, Akeem Tlaib, after the, uh, the, uh, the game, when they asked him about it in the, po- in the press conference, or not the press conference, but in the locker room after the game, he goes, yeah, he was wearing that chain all year, so I told him if he wore it in front of me, I was going to have to snatch it off his neck. And he did, so I snatched it off his neck. And he didn't say right, anything. So, I was like, yo, that is gangster as fuck. Bro. <laughs> and he didn't do a damn thing. Because now, bro, like, Michael Crabtree's a mark now. All right, so they're playing They're playing Houston this week, right? Yeah. So they're playing Houston. He didn't, like, you can get that chain fixed before Saturday or Sunday or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. is he going to wear the chain in Houston? Because there's a lot of people on that Houston team that used to play under Gary Kubiak, and Gary Kubiak saw Akeem Tlaib snatch that chain and was like, I am the fuck out. Yep. Like, we're going to have, like, like someone someone on that Houston team is going to snatch his chain and be like, this is for Kubs. Yeah, Kubiak, uh, I, I get why Kubiak had to had to call it quits. I mean, he's he's got Akeem Tlaib causing a fight in the middle of a Titans game. He's got Keep to leave, snatching chains. His rookie quarterback blows. Can't block a soul. He already got a Super Bowl ring. It, I, I'd be willing to step away too. So he, here's the other thing too, right? Is Keep to leave keeps escalating this shit, right? So it's like Harry Douglas can't see in, can't go to Atlanta anymore, right? Harry Douglas can't go to Atlanta. Like Michael Crabtree can't wear a chain. Um, like you know who? I, you know if if I saw a Keep to leave snatch someone's chain, you know who should be really nervous if I were them? Is Don Terry Poe. Why? Because why, bro? Did you not hear Denver's entire locker room after that after that uh, touchdown catch or after that touchdown pass? And they're like, that was a sign of disrespect. We oh, have yeah. to come back and get him, right? 
So, like, if I'm Don, Don Terry Poe, man, I got to go into, like, witness protection program like Greg Williams or something like that. <laughs> just like, no, man, I'm not trying to see Akeem Talib. You see Akeem Talib standing outside of your door in, like, a Lolo with his mom riding shotgun. Like, Good no, Lord. man, I ain't coming outside. God, I, I mean, the level of just straight-up disrespect <laughs> to, to just snatch someone's chain in the middle of a football game. And then he goes back to the sideline and he's laughing about it. Like, <laughs> like crap. I, I thought Crabtree might have had to retire, like, Dude, he was talking about, like, I didn't want to start a fight because I didn't want to get suspended for the next game. You know what the exact reaction, the exact reaction that these damn Raiders fans had or these these Raiders players had was the same reaction we had where it was, oh, shit. I've never seen I've never I've never even heard stories about someone getting their chain snatched like that calmly. I'm saying Andre Johnson had to beat the shit out of Cortland Finnegan. And like Andre Johnson, like, I don't even think he's never raised his voice in his life. Michael Crabtree out here asking for for contract extensions as a rookie and like or a contract holdout as a rookie and wouldn't just step up and like do anything to keep to leave. It was amazing. And I, I like I keep to leave. He's had some stories, man. Like if, if you've seen that, uh, <laughs> this, uh, Dan Lebitard, highly questionable interview he had where he was talking about his uh, his grandma, right? Yeah, his grandma threatening his uncle because his mom shot his uncle and like if you haven't seen that you gotta uh you gotta look that up and i remember back in the day when he was still with the bucks he and his mom got in trouble because they were uh, <laughs> they were shooting at <laughs> at his sister's boyfriend in like a parking lot in t- at the target in like the middle of the day so <laughs> so if akib talib says he's gonna snatch your chain he's he's probably just gonna snatch your chain now whether well, like- you, whether you want to retaliate that's up to you but you got to take him at his word when he says he's gonna do something but like what like he has to play against him twice a year now. Like yeah. what the hell is a keep to like boy get here. Like damn man. That's the that's the thing is you gotta retaliate. It, like you have to fight on principle at some point. And some sometimes you have to get your ass kicked on principle, right? Even if he didn't think he was gonna win that fight, sometimes you have to have to get your ass kicked on principle and you're wearing a helmet. You're gonna be fine, I promise you. Yeah. Like I don't understand. Like so you watch defensive tackles for NFL one thousand, right? Shouts yeah. to Bleacher Report for playing for paying us money. Yeah, um yeah. are you aware of which defensive tackle uh for the Green Bay Packers wears the chain? Uh I think it's Latroy, right? It's Latroy Guyon. You know who's gonna who's never gonna get his chain snatched on a football field? Latroy Guyon. It's Latroy Guyon. Yeah. No, man, like I every single angle from this story, I'm just like, why didn't you even swing at him? Like why Yeah, you didn't you, look we came back from last week. I told you a story about Drew Bledsoe picking on a six-two JV corner and how competitive NFL players are. And Michael Crabtree just washed the, all of that away, all of it, in uh, in a in a vine. Yeah, that in was a vine. Just unbelievable. I mean, just just think about like the like the levels of just don't give a fuck that Akeem Talib has to just say, you know what? It's week seventeen. We're not going to the playoffs. I, we don't really have anything to play for. I'm just going to snatch this dude's chain. And he's not. And I know he's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> That's just hilarious, man. I wish we need to have as many corner or as many receivers turn down the Pro Bowl as possible, so we can get like a keep to leave and Michael Crabtree going against each other in like putt putt golf or whatever the hell they're doing. Oh yeah, and the, like the skills competition. Yeah, like Michael Crabtree's going to like just like just let go, like let go of the club. You know what I mean? Like just swing. Oh. Sorry about that. Yeah. Like, what we need to happen is a, a skills competition where Akeem Talib and Michael Crabtree are going one-on-one, and Talib snatches his chain again. But instead of giving it back this time, he makes Michael Crabtree pay for it. That's what we need to happen. No, Oh, man. No. <laughs> just like the ultimate sign of disrespect. You just, ha- you just have to shoot him. <laughs> like that, at that point, just murder, man. Like, at some point, you just got to kill people. Yeah. Oof. All right. Now, uh, talking things that are a little bit more, uh, how do I say, I don't know, mainstream, normal. Uh, we have a little bit of an MVP race coming up between, uh, it looks like the final two candidates are Matt Ryan and uh, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterbacks of our favorite teams. Well, if you if you look at uh, ESPN's poll, they also have Tom Brady ahead of him. And there were people who voted not only Ezekiel Elliott, but also Derek Carr. Uh, ahead of Aaron Rodgers in the MVP race because he's being persecuted for being Christian. Yeah, just like Hugh Freeze, just like Hugh Freeze last week. Just well, like Hugh Freeze. The thing is, uh, Aaron Rodgers was 
worse than Sam Bradford to start the season off. I don't know what else to say. Matt Ryan had a better season, more consistent. They beat the Packers on a game-winning drive with a great throw. People Matt love Ryan. to talk about this more. Hold on, hold on, hold on. People like to talk about this more consistent thing. Like Aaron, they, they talk about Aaron Rodgers like he's a half. He's a half-season quarterback. He had twenty interceptions or twenty touchdowns and five interceptions in the first half. He had twenty interceptions and two intercept or twenty touchdowns and two interceptions in the second half of the season. Like you got to get out of here with this half. Like people talk about he had twenty touchdowns and five interceptions and he looked bad. And then that's the only situation where, like, the eye test ever matters. Like, we were like, no, Aaron Rodgers is, like, more, a more talented quarterback. Like, nah, eye test doesn't matter. Stats, stats, stats. Unless you're talking about Aaron Rodgers' first half of the season when he was, like, leading the league and people still just, nah, stats, stats, stats. And that's that's when the eye test gets to kick in. I mean, how can you? I'm saying all, stats of, matters, like, you stats matter. Sam people. Bradford just set the completion percentage. Go give him the MVP. No, no one will ever do that. Uh I mean, you're t- you're mad about stats, and you're the one who has the force plays formula that literally makes that's different. That measures athleticism. That measures talent. Okay, yeah, it's it's a completely different concept. Sure, it is. I, I, <laughs> I mean, all I gotta say is thirty three, thirty two, game winning touchdown pass to Muhammad Sanu. I'm saying game losing touchdown pass to Eric Berry. I'm saying under threw the 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 ball to Julio Jones, or he would have gotten a PI call. Um, <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, man. I'm saying, like, this dude. I'm done. The Green Bay Packers would be what the Los Angeles Rams look like without Aaron Rodgers. Oh, like Matt Ryan got like Matt Ryan got like Mac, and Matt Ryan got Taylor Gabriel this off season, right? And Matt Ryan got. I mean, I'm not gonna go as far to say Muhammad Sanu, right? You're not gonna get me to say oh, that. No. But he he got a bunch of talent, right? And he got dudes on the defensive side of the ball, like um, yeah, like Vic like, Beasley yeah. to step up. Aaron Rodgers got, like, okay, Josh Sitton got cut the week before the season started. Geronimo Allison is, like, the team's number one receiver right now. Um, like, somehow he got Devontae Adams, to, like, third in the NFL in, in receiving touchdowns, even though Devontae Adams is, like, legitimately not good. Uh, and on the defensive side of the ball, the Packers can't stop anything. Like, the Packers are still the Packers are still going into man defense when, they ha- when they're up, and it's like Don Capers just wants to keep, like, the team into the games. And, like... He's got a dude number eighty-eight is running the damn ball for him. Like oh, his yeah, offense, like Atlanta's offensive court. Look, Atlanta's offensive coordinator is about to get a head coaching job, and Mike McCarthy people were talking about him getting fired. Like, what the hell is going on here, man? All I'm saying is Aaron Rodgers iso hero ball. Aaron Rodgers, they started to figure that thing out once they started giving uh, Tom Montgomery the ball out of the backfield a little bit more, averaging five point nine yards per carry on the season. Maybe Tom do you think? Do you think? Do you think Matt Ryan is more talented than Aaron Rodgers? Of course not. No. Then why are you pointing at these numbers, man? Why you got to lie to yourself? Why you got to lie to the people? He's I'm, the most valuable player. I'm just bracing myself for the uh, for the NFC Championship loss to the Packers. That's I, I need to get something out of this year. So if Matt Ryan wins MVP, that that would be good enough for me. It's not gonna happen because OBJ OBJ is like OBJ is back from like or back from uh, Miami. Right, smoking weed with Trey Songs, telling people that no, he can't take Adderall on a boat right. on his one day off. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna go for 500 yards against this Packers cornerback. Uh, the Packers just upgraded a former University of Miami receiver uh, from the practice squad to play cornerback on their active roster Who was uh, that? for this game. It's not Sam Shields. It's oh. a it's another guy. Yeah, they they basically were like, we'll just replace Sam Shields with another one. Mm, hate it had to be you. But, well, no, I don't. And that's a good segue uh, into the game picks portion of the podcast. So let's just uh, start off with uh, Green Bay uh, versus the Giants. What, okay. what's, what's the spread? Sunday night game. Uh, it's between four and a half and five points. So that means that in uh, New York, it would be, a, I guess, five and a half points. There are some lines that are five and a half points. Um, the New York Giants would be short home favorites. Mm, I could buy that. Because, I mean, in New York, yeah. I, I think, like OBJ, like OBJ, yeah. like you, people talk about, like Aaron OBJ against this Packers defensive back unit is more of an unstoppable force than Aaron Rodgers has been through the NFL season this year. Yeah, and uh, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus tweeted out today that the Packers, uh, you, the Packers run uh, cover two man more than any other team in the league. Yeah, and they still and they still give up all these damn yards. So when you yeah when you have a quarterback a cornerback that runs a four seven that's gonna get his fair share of reps against Odell Beckham who does not run a four seven I think 
that could be a matchup to exploit. Uh, and I think that I think this Giants defense is probably going to be the toughest task that the uh, Packers have faced all season, besides like the Giant or the Vikings week two, right? Uh, Seattle. Seattle. Well, well, that was post. I wouldn't, I wouldn't Thomas, go. As, right? I wouldn't go as far to say that. Well, the thing about the Seattle game too is they were just learning how to play without Earl Thomas. Yeah. I guess yeah. That's. A, I mean, that's well, a it's not like they figured it out. They've been bottom yeah, three pass defense since he got hurt. Ooh, got real close with the San Francisco 49ers last week. Let's they did. pretend we're not talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That 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 was that was probably the most shocking game that I I saw. Like the just the score pop up and I'm like, how the hell is this still happening? Yeah, I mean that's the Seahawks. They're they're just limping into the postseason right now. Uh, yep, and uh, they get to play one home game. If you, uh, I I implore everyone to look at Seattle's home and away splits. Basically, the, Seattle is the easiest bet to win the wild card round and then get blown the fuck out in the divisional round. Yeah, I think that's where we're headed because uh, if you follow Football Outsiders uh, DVOA stats, since Earl Thomas has been hurt, they've been thirtieth in pass defense DVOA. Which is, I mean, embarrassingly bad. And if they win against the Lions, which I expect them to, they'd be going uh, into Atlanta, who is, you know, do they I, throw the ball? Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think they do a justice. Bit. Just a little, a little bit. bit. So yeah, I, I think this is going to be a tough test for the Packers. I, I kind of like the Giants to cover this one, maybe even win. I think it's going to be really close, dude. Game. If it if it creeps up to six, easy. Like if it's there, there are numbers that are five and a half. Um, it looked like it opened up at six and it's come down a little bit. Uh, I wonder if there'll be like late money on this. I, I'd probably wait on this honestly, because um, if it if it gets closer to three, like if you're if you can get three on the dot and it drops, then you're in a good spot. And if you can get six, then you're in a good spot with the Giants. So like th- this weird, I mean, Bill Simmons calls it like the Vegas zone, right? Where he talks about the Vegas zone being like yeah. like uh four and four and a half to like five. Right, and that's basically where this game is sitting right now, and it's like this line doesn't really have any value either way because there's no key numbers that actually ever hit it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if it's at five and a half right now, I, I still like the Giants to cover that. I, I just, I think, I, I think that the the Giants secondary will be able to give Green Bay, Green Bay a little bit of a problem, and I, I just don't see any way that they can stop Odell Beckham. You know, I, I, I at all, like legitimately at all. at all. Like I have no idea how they're going to stop. Like short of double teaming him on every single play, and even then, he could still he still runs faster than these guys. So I mean, like, yeah, you just, two weeks ago you just gave up two hundred yards to Adam Thielen, who was a fake person before the season even started. So I mean, to see Odo Beckham come in, even though Eli Manning has been playing horrible football, it's not that hard to get it in Odo Beckham's hands against if, his corners. If the Giant, if the Giants lose this game, it's going to be because of Eli Manning or their tackles, their offensive tackles. Period. Yeah. yeah. Period. That's the only that that's how they lose this game. So it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Ty Montgomery can keep up this success going against like Hankins and uh, Damon Harrison and Vernon and JPP. Because well, is, is JPP even playing this week? Uh. I, so think, I, don't think, I don't think he played last week. No, he didn't. He's been banged up a little bit, but he was a guy that like he flirted with playing last week. So yeah. he, he's probably ready this week. He's probably gonna suit up for the playoffs. Uh, yeah, he's been pra- he practiced today, so I would assume he's gonna play on Saturday or on Sunday. Nice. The Giants aren't having to play uh, undrafted rookies right. now. Cool. Okay, so we both we both kind of like the Giants on a bigger spread, but if it gets down to three, I like the Packers too. Yep. Okay, what's the next game? Uh, Are we let's work in reverse order then? If yeah. we're gonna start with the Sunday night game, so we'll do this Sunday afternoon game, uh, Miami at Pittsburgh. Ugh. 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 That's a ten point line. For the, so that means in in Miami, the Steelers would still be more than field goal favorites. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like Tannehill's gonna play. So really, it, do you trust Matt Moore to keep up with? Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown? Of course nope. not. Nope. I, I think it's going to be a blowout. I, I, I don't think I, w- I would put money on it, but I would take – if I was going to put money on this game, I would take Steelers minus 10. You can actually find, according to uh, Odd Sharks, a database uh, on station casinos in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, you can find this line at 10.5. And, and if you can find it at 10.5, I'm taking Miami. Because that's a lot of fucking points, yeah, and that's still a playoff team. And I'm not sure Matt Moore is worse than uh, Ryan Tannehill. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I think he's. 
I think he's worse, but it's just like Matt Moore starting a playoff game in 2017. I, I just on the I just, road. On, on the road, road. I just I just don't see how. <laughs> I think this is gonna be a slaughter. Honestly, I, I would take I would take Pittsburgh. So let me think of how we can do this because Pittsburgh's the only team. I'll, I'll I'll figure out a way how we could bet this later. But Pittsburgh's really the only team that we think that could beat the New England Patriots, right? Yeah. So if we could figure out a way to like hedge New England Patriots with like this game, like a straight up Miami win. I think that would benefit us. I'll figure out how to how, how to make some sort of credible bet to that off there. Um, yeah, I, I'm taking Miami. That's ten points. That's a lot of fucking points. Okay. It's an NFL game. Uh, so we're split on that one. I like Pittsburgh just as likes Miami. So now, uh, what, what's that the next game? Also opened at seven and a half. That game's that oh. game's risen two and a half points. <laughs> wow, already. Yeah, Jeez. damn. All all of these lines have moved a lot actually. Uh, what's the next game? Uh, the Saturday night game, Detroit and Seattle. So this game, this actually had the lowest movement. Um, Seattle opened up as a seven and a half point favorite. They are now eight point favorites at home against the Detroit Lions. So on the road, they would still be two point favorites. Short road, or short, yeah, short road favorites. It's tough because I mean neither team is good right now. You know, both of these teams just stumbled into like all of these NFC teams, other than. Like all, at least these wild card teams, right? All just stumbled into the playoffs, other than Green Bay, because like Detroit got blown the hell out. San, or Seattle struggled with San Francisco. Um, they lost to I mean, Arizona. I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the Giants beat the Redskins, but I don't think anyone's excited about what like Eli Manning can do. You no, know what I mean? but I mean, even when you look at Seattle, uh, when they had that Thursday night game against the Rams. Uh, that was a little bit closer than it needed to be, and you you look at oh they they like barely covered that game yeah I think yeah uh, and then you look at what like Atlanta did to uh, the Rams you look at what Arizona did to the Rams this past week winning forty four to six I I just I just don't think Seattle's a good team right now and like like we said before they have a bottom three pass defense right now without Earl Thomas they got torched by Colin Kaepernick they got torched by Carson Palmer like two guys who aren't exactly the greatest quarterbacks. They let Jared Goff and Michael Thomas beat them over the over deep over the top once, even though the pass wasn't completed. So eight points is a lot for this Seattle team to be getting right now against really any team in the NFL. They beat the 49ers by two on Sunday. Uh, so I, I would take the Lions here. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like when – like this Seattle team – that's one thing about Seattle – is Seattle usually blows the hell out of teams. Seattle's not doing that this year. Right. So I guess they, they blew out L.A. They blew out Carolina, but that game was weird, right? So that, that game, you almost have to throw it off. Other than that, they haven't won by – or they beat, they beat Philadelphia too. Um, really, in the last three months, those are the only games that they've won by that large of an amount are against the Los Angeles Rams, who were literally coming off of like firing their head coach on a short week. Right, so like yeah. that's like, you, you can, uh, there's not much data to help you there. There's 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 not much history or precedent for gambling against that. Um, Carolina, when I mean, really, you got to quit, right? Like defensively, offensively, I mean, you could see it on Carolina's face. Yeah, they were. Where right. it was like Derek Anderson threw a fucking interception on the first play of the game. Fuck this shit. We're yeah, going home. We're done. We're done. Yeah, and then beating Philadelphia. Everyone beats Philadelphia now. So except the Falcons. Oh. That's unfortunate. <laughs> you wince there. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking Detroit. That's a lot of points. Yeah. If it were like, if it were like, see, seven still like a lot for me. Like, if it was a six point line, I would understand that. Um, but eight, eight fuck eight, that. No. Yeah, that that that's that's got Detroit written all over it. But I, I still yeah. think Seattle wins. I just I think it's that's got Ma- that's got Matthew Stafford backdoor cover and them getting the ball and like them going for an onside kick with five seconds left. Yeah, feel to it. And I mean, I mean the the Seahawks they haven't been able to run the ball either. So like they can't really def- they can't defend the pass. They can't run the ball. Russ has been up and down all year. This this seems like a team that scrapes by Detroit and then just gets blown out by Atlanta in the divisional round. Yeah, yeah, and this game was is only a, a four like the the over under is forty three points. So you take out the point spread, that's thirty five. So that's really only saying that's not that many. That's saying that like Detroit keeps it underneath twenty, and Detroit doesn't really do that. Yeah, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that that's kind of an, yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. I think it, Detroit can get over twenty easy. I, you say three touchdowns, Detroit. That's fine when Earl Thomas isn't back there. So yeah, sure. Um, so last game, uh, game the early game on Saturday game, on ESPN. It's not really a game. It's <laughs> it's two it's two football teams, but I wouldn't call this a game. Technically, yeah. Welcome to the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah the damn Alamo Bowl. Oakland, Houston. So we got uh, Connor Cook on the road mm. against Brock Osweiler at home. Brock Osweiler, actually, if you look at the Houston's uh, Houston splits, um, I think only outside of Seattle, uh, that that's the biggest split in the league between how a team performs at home and how they perform away. Like this team gets blown the fuck. Like we were talking about Seattle, how they're basically a shoe in for. I, I I don't know that Houston's a shoe in to win to winning this round, but if they make it to the next round, boy, you can bet. Just parlay. Parlay Houston losing with everything else because they will not win a road playoff game. <laughs> fucking Osweiler. No way. No. So uh, Houston is a three-and-a-half to four-point favorite. Mm. Yeah. Do we have to talk about this game? Uh, No. Let's just throw it to Matt Harmon. All right. Uh, so instead of talking about that game, we're going to uh, introduce our next guest, uh, Matt Harmon of NFL.com. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, he does really good work with reception perception, kind of projecting how players will do in the NFL and uh, in uh, like lesser known NFL players. So back when uh, Allen Robinson had his rookie year, Harmon was all over uh, Allen Robinson having a blow up sophomore year, which he did. And he kind of called Malcolm Mitchell being a good producer for the Seahawks, or not for the Seahawks, for the Patriots this year. So he's a really good uh, guy, really knowledgeable, and uh, we're happy to have him on. So now we're going to get to that. portion of this uh matt Harmon from nfl.com he does uh reception perception he's a creator of that he has a very cute dog named charlie say what's up to the people matt what's up guys it's good to be here uh from the as i'm tweeting right now for your branding purposes uh from the official nfl uh podcast studio talking to you guys <laughs> i mean i'm not using any of the equipment here because that's i would be fired immediately but uh i don't know how to set any of it up either but you know here we are it's good to talk to you guys Look, we've come a long way since the Senior Bowl when Chuck asked me drunkenly to use my phone to take a selfie with uh, Ian <laughs> Rappaport. Rappaport. Oh, God. We're slowly infiltrating NFL media. <laughs> slowly. That's pretty sure. great. Uh, all right, so let's start off with these questions. First one from, uh, I don't know if I pronounce his last name, J.J. Zacharyson. Zacharyson. Uh, Zacharyson. Please yeah. ask Matt about his favorite R&B group. Or... Are you, or, or actually, it says, please ask him about his RB group. Are you in an RB group, Matt? Yeah, so there's a story behind this, uh, as you would expect. There, uh, JJ hosts a podcast with uh, Denny Carter. It's called Living the Stream. Uh, it's a fantasy football podcast. It's one of, one of my favorite listens, actually. But they have a whole bit on there, like during one of the question and answer things, there, or somehow they were talking about me and like they mentioned my Twitter handle, which is not very good because it has the underscore BYB in it. And they were like, does anybody even know what the BYB, uh, like what that even means? Like what does that stand for in Harmon's name? Of course it means backyard banter, but it went on to a whole rant about how it actually meant boy, young boy. And then somehow their listeners created a bunch of photoshops of the boy, young boy band. So that's one of the narratives. Like now it's one of the narratives now is that here in LA, I, uh, I'm actually a local R and B artist that just does this football thing on the side. So it's, it's quite a spiral, but I'm glad that my, my Twitter handles provide so many jokes for their podcast. Uh, Matt Harmon, as a as a uh, member of the Aaron Rodgers Propaganda Brigade, I have to ask you, as a fantasy football writer, you lean toward Matt Ryan being the NFL MVP over Aaron Rodgers, right? That's a little bit uh, – for one, I would I want to just critique a few things that you said there because <laughs> I, I you know, it's just – trying to paint me into some corner because I, I happen to write sometimes write about fantasy is unfair. Uh, that's one. I take issue with that, but yeah, I do lean, I do lean Matt Ryan over Aaron Rodgers for MVP. So I guess you're right about the assumption. 
Good man. Look, he's smart. Vote your conscience, people. Vote <laughs> your conscience. <laughs> okay. All right. What we got? What else we got? Uh, the next question. Uh, where was that? This is for. Uh, I guess it's slanted more towards me and Justice. Uh, is it just me or from uh, Zach? I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name. Uh, is it just me or is the NFL awful eva- uh, evaluating defensive tackle prospects? Feels like there's more third and later round studs there than any other position. Um, so I think to some extent, yeah, uh, you can find later round gems, but I think that they're just more, there, there are more, all those all those athletic bodies are end up ending up playing defensive tackle instead of on the offensive line now, and I think that makes a huge difference. Because so like Matt, if I ask you like name me some first round wide receiver bus, you can you can name a couple guys, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And then if you say like quarterbacks, right? Like the names like Jamarcus Russell and things like that pop up. Um, but like defensive tackles, there aren't really any like massive bust defensive tackles in the NFL. Um, I just really think that there's just a lot of defensive tackle, uh, I guess you'd say talent, coming from college football to the NFL, and I think that reflects to the NFL. I think if you're looking at the NFL right now, you'd probably say the strongest positions in the league uh, almost across the board are like defensive line play and quarterback at this point. You know, I would I would say, too, that that's a good point about, like, you, you can't really name any big, massive defensive line busts. I mean, you can call some guys defense – you can call some guys, like, disappointments, but I would say also, like, because – most teams want to rotate their defensive linemen. Like even if a guy doesn't play up to, you know, first round caliber guy or is like an every near every down player, you can still rotate them in and get some sort of impact. You can't do that with like a, with like an offensive lineman. Like if an offensive lineman can't play, you can't put him on the field. He's mostly just a depth player. Like there's no offensive lineman rotation. Same thing too with like a wide receiver or especially a quarterback. So I think that's actually kind of a good point in that you can find ways to make it work with defensive linemen, even if they don't hit the ceiling that you would hope for. Yeah, I agree. Those are all really good takes. But, yeah, I, I think sometimes the NFL kind of uh, – I, I, sometimes I think some NFL teams have, like, the wrong prototype that they're looking for for defensive uh, linemen. Like, you want those, like, shorter squatty guys, like Aaron Donald, uh, Mike Daniels, Jarrell Casey, you know, that, that – are already going to win the leverage battle pretty much as soon as the ball is snapped every single play. And uh, I think you kind of see NFL teams and the draft Twitter kind of fall in love with, like, the 6'5 guys who, you know, blow up the combine. But that's not really what playing defensive tackle is about. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception on what the prototype is and what actually works in the NFL. There's a reason why... Guys like Leonard Williams and DeForest Buckner, who aren't bad NFL pros, right? They're just not, uh, I don't know what you'd say, like Pro Bowl caliber type guys, right? Yeah. There's a reason why everyone, every single offseason is like, look, this long 3-4 defensive end is the number one player in the draft. And then he ends up slipping down the draft every single year. Yeah, I think that I think it makes a lot of sense. All right, next question from at Swole Tide. Uh, what does your process look like when grinding film? Uh, so Matt, for you, like, what what's the process with reception per, uh, reception perception uh, with you know college NFL? Like, how does that usually start for you? Well, so the first thing is obviously identifying you know who you want to watch and and why. A lot of times when I'm looking at these players, you know, I know that everybody says like you should go into watching a player without any preconceived notion, but I think that's kind of BS, <laughs> and especially in our day and age of the internet, like especially for draft like draft purposes, because I, I do obviously fantasy and cover the NFL during the year. At the end of the season, I need to know who I'm looking for. So I'll pull up like some general draft rankings and you know I might know this or that or the other about the players. And I just think it's kind of impossible to go in with a complete blank slate. Uh, and you know, you need to know, again, you need to know who to watch. Uh, so that's probably, that's obviously step one. And when I'm doing reception perception, it's a, uh, Obviously, what I'm doing is I'm charting every single route that a receiver runs over an eight-game sample for NFL players and a six-game sample for college players. And I'm charting whether they get open on the route, what kind of route they run, uh, what kind of coverage were they facing, and and how often did they beat man, zone, and press coverage. And then I'm also taking notes on contested catches and how often they break tackles in space. So I'm really kind of giving you a full picture uh, and that is that's one way to watch. Like, and, and you guys do a lot with edge players as well too. You're just honing in on one specific example and and one specific instance on the field, which you know is really important to kind of dial in on 
exactly what's happening on from an outcome standpoint uh, in just one event than opposed to the entire field. But then obviously, like when and when I'm watching film in season, like trying to keep up with the entire league, that's a whole different process. And that a lot of goes into more of like grand things. You know, I'm watching film and like trying to see what catches my eye or going into an investigative storyline. Like, why is the Jaguars offense so bad? Let me pull up a couple of games and, and find out. Uh, so that's a different process altogether. But for reception perception, it's isolating that one specific event and trying to log as much of it as possible. Because, you know, I, I don't know whether you guys agree with this or whether the listeners or not. I, I want to kind of see things well-defined, and I think that's one of my goals with Perception Perception. I, I don't want to see analysis, and I don't want to be the analyst that gives you just, well, this guy gets open uh, you know, a lot, or this guy is a good route runner. I want to show you how many times over a long sample size uh, that, a player got, that a player got open on slant routes versus post routes down the field. So, I, it's, again, I think it's all about charting and logging details for me. I, I have I have a question for you. So when you uh, when you're charting how a guy beats coverage, like are you charting, uh, like like what qualifies as a guy that uh, as a beaten coverage on a play, like arms length away, or like how would you uh, define that? Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously I think one thing that's important to remember in all this is like a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is a subjective thing, you know, like. Uh, it's it's hard to define unless you're looking at like the actual metrics that we use for next gen stats here at the NFL, which is a whole different uh, discussion. But when you're just watching, uh, you're just watching a player. Like a lot of it is like, yeah, you can tell like just a little bit of like an arm's length away. Like I, that's that's a good description of it if you want to have like an actual uh, definition. And you know, just I would say that the, you can tell what is open for some players is different than for others. You know, a guy like Mike Evans might not create as much separation than a player like Odell Beckham. But yeah, there's, there's a pretty good, just standard amount of distance you could tell between a, a wide receiver and a cornerback that would make it reasonable for them uh, to actually catch the ball. And instead of just wa- riding it on their hip pocket. So I guess my next question would be, so for, for wide receivers, you do a bunch of charting and stuff like that, right? And charting, what that ends up doing is you get a good look at, <clears throat> at what a player can do as like an average, right? What, how do you treat players who have a high ceiling and a low floor what, where sometimes they won't be able to, uh, I mean, just get open on a basic slant and then some days, some uh, some games, they'll just absolutely go off. How do you value um I guess potential versus like average, like a medium, whatever type of player. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's uh, one thing the reception perception does well is like it shows guys that obviously you know Sterling Shepard's a really good example from this last draft that just got open on on the vast majority of his routes. He had eighty two point eight percent success rate versus man coverage. Like that guy's usually always getting open, but that's different than a player you know like a Kenny Stills or somebody like that, that just, you know, you have to embrace a little bit of that volatility. I think reception perception, because it logs every single route that they run over that large sample, you kind of get a sense of who is good and going to pay back that volatility more often than not. Cause there are a lot of players that can make splash plays in the league, but there are one, there are some that can do it more consistently than others. And those are the things I think you see, when they have a lot of high success on deep patterns again and again and again, that you, uh, you start to get a, a better feel for that. And, you know, I think, I think embracing volatility though is important. Like I do tend to fall in love with guys that are pretty consistent route runners that get consistent separation on a variety of different routes all over the field. Uh, but I think at the same time, it's super important to also embrace some of that volatility because big plays do matter. Yeah, I agree with all of that. It's a, Big plays do matter. Uh, yeah, I, I know you've gone on about this, but I think football Twitter does overrate drops to a degree. You know? Oh yeah, that's that's definitely one of my uh, that is definitely one of my 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 biggest uh, hills to die on. Matt, um, NFL Twitter, uh, fantasy Twitter, draft Twitter, fuck Mary Kill go. Oh God. <laughs> uh, well, what would you say is NFL Twitter like? Just. Beat writers that like, cover like, the league. But no, like the, the people who put their team's record in their display name. <laughs> oh god. Well no, I feel like I feel like that's a whole different thing. I don't people know. people with the Dallas Cowboys star uh 
the Dallas Cowboys star in their their Twitter bio. <laughs> I give, I think we can pro we can probably kill them. I okay. think I think that's that doesn't do anything. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll go we'll go with them. And I think that I'm gonna marry fantasy Twitter uh, only because they've been so good to me that I think like obviously I've gotten a job because of fantasy. Uh, I've gotten a lot of notoriety because of my fantasy work. So. That obviously is something that I feel really good about, and I, I owe a lot to them. So, but we have rocky times. Like I, I can't stand watching on Twitter people bitch and complain about their fantasy team. Or like, just throw it to this guy. Just do that. Like that's not an appealing way to watch a game to me. So, but that's just like a marriage. You know, there's going to be plenty of things about your partner that you're not going to like. You're going to have to just kind of deal with, um, and or you know, decide if it's worth it to you. And I think in the long run, even though there are certain things on fantasy Twitter that really do annoy me. I, I think there's enough for me to stay in the marriage. And then for, for draft Twitter, I'll definitely fuck draft Twitter because I love, I love draft Twitter. I have a lot of fun talking about the draft. A lot, that was really kind of the first uh, community that really embraced me too back when I was first starting out. So I'll, 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 I'll fuck draft Twitter because we always have a good time. <laughs> and can, can we get a sh- shout to draft Mecca, right? You used to dra- oh, write dude, for draft yeah. Mecca with us. That was the uh, that was I think that was either the first or second site that ever let me write for them. So yeah, it's big shouts to Eric, Andrew Parsons, all you guys there. Uh, that feels like a, another lifetime ago, but big shouts to Draft Mecca, man. I, I and it's crazy too. Like I mean, Eric and I hang out a pretty decent amount here in LA. Like it's good, it's good. Like we're like real life friends, but I can't tell you like how badly I wanted to write for the site too. Like because I was just starting out and I was like. Damn! Will these guys please like respond to my uh, like? <laughs> I really want to write for the site. Come on, like please! I, I love following all these guys. So now it's just funny to to think about that in hindsight. Now it was a fun run. Yeah, wow. it was fun. Anything, anything that uh, you know, those those th- those projects aren't built to last, but they're good when they're there. All right. Uh, well, the next question is from uh, Jacob Madrid. Uh, this this is probably slanted more towards Justice and uh, Matt. Uh, how do you guys feel about Randall Cobb's season, uh, and how do you guys feel about him moving forward? Geronimo oh, Allison is a better receiver uh, than Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, I think, will be Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson will have top five or top ten uh, cap hits heading into next season. Randall Cobb should not be a Green Bay Packer next year. Yeah, I love Randall Cobb uh, as a player. I think his 2014 season was legitimately awesome. Um, I think he showed a lot more ability than just being like a gadget player. So I do kind of wonder if in his next spot, um, he ends up as a, he ends up doing a little more. I think there were times this year where it looked like he was really going to be a productive part of the offense, but it hasn't come to fruition. But at the same time, like I put out a reception perception article on football guys this year, looking at some of his games from 2016 and he's definitely does, he does not win as consistently on his routes as he did back in the day uh, in 2014. So he's not that player anymore. And I, I would agree that he should probably be playing elsewhere next year, um, which is unfortunate to say, cause I really like Randall Cobb as a player, but they have a, they, like Allison has been very impressive there the last few weeks. And I, I think that they have plenty going on there with uh, Nelson and, and Devonte Adams anyways. Yeah. And he's kind of a weird guy because, so if you want to talk about like numbers, you, you didn't run reception perception back in 2014, right? Well, uh, yeah, the only guys actually Jordy Nelson, Cordero Patterson were two that I looked at, like a handful of others. But those are the only okay. two pieces that are public. Because I remember, um, I I looked on, uh, I wrote a piece at the time because Randall Cobb was like a free agent right after that, right? Like everyone thought he was going to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I wrote a piece for Bleacher Report where I looked into like football, football, uh, Pro Football Focus, uh, their numbers, and basically Randall Cobb was essentially the most productive slot receiver of all time. In that season. Oh wait, I'm I'm sorry, I misspoke. Yeah, I was I had numbers on 2014. I was talking about 2013 was the season that I just had a few guys. But yeah, I I put a piece out on on Cobb too, reception perception that went into the Washington Post after they re-signed uh, Randall mm-hmm. Cobb. So my bad, I I mixed up my ears there. Oh, it's all it's all good, man. It's hard to keep track at this point. Everything is just flying by. <laughs> um, but yeah, like so, it's Cobb's in a really weird spot because basically he was paid to be a superior inside receiver, right? And the, the way this Packers offense isn't constructed in a way that he can do that. Two, he's been injured a lot. Three, he doesn't look like his old self. Four, he's getting paid a bunch. And it's just like, are is he going to take? A, is he going to restructure a deal at 
he's a former Pro Bowl receiver at 26 years old. Is he really going to restructure an NFL contract? And if not, then that just means, okay, he's going to get cut because he cannot yeah. be playing next year on the contract that he has right now. Yeah, there's no way. And I think you're right to make a make the point about uh, about the uh, the offense has changed since Cobb had that big year. Uh, and they used a, a short area slot receiver a lot more. You know, it's much more about Aaron Rodgers doing a little bit of improvisation and hitting tight window throws than, than it was back then. And that's just really not – Cobb's not useful for that. And I do think that there's – that he ha- you mentioned his decline as an individual. That's absolutely true. Like his numbers in reception perception have never been as good in that 2014 season when he was, you know, a legitimate difference maker. And he's just not that player anymore. So, again, I wonder where he's – I think he'll be elsewhere next year for sure. I don't think he can play in Green Bay. But you also – the last point you hit on too is the injuries. And – you know, we see that a lot with these slot receivers that take a ton of pounding from, you know, inside linebackers, safeties, guys in the box there, not necessarily just, you know, getting bumped out of bounds by cornerbacks on the edge like some of these other receivers are. When those guys tend to lose it, it tends to go quick. I mean, Wes Welker's decline was pretty instantaneous. You can think of other slot receivers uh, that, that tend to drop off quickly. I mean, Cobb is still you know, fairly young. He's 26 years old, and he, even though he's been in the league for a few years now. But maybe that decline tends to happen pretty quicker for these interior receivers than it does for guys on the boundary. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember, I, I think it was a few days ago, I was reading something about uh, Bill Belichick was talking about how slot receiver is one of the most difficult positions to play in an offense because uh, on any diff- on any given play, you know, you have Outside corner, the slot guy, uh, inside linebacker to that side, and then a safety over the top. So he said on pretty much any given play, you're going to be dealing with at least two of those guys. And it's, it's kind of like how we see running backs just kind of die down after they take a big pounding, and these guys are even smaller than that. So if you're a guy like Randall Cobb or Wes Welker that's going to see a, like a huge volume of targets, it, it, it kind of makes sense why like they fall off after they peak so quickly. Okay, and the next question uh, from at Cronwall. Uh, is Jim Caldwell the right coach to lead the Lions to glory? No. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what your definition of glory is. I mean, I think they can be what they are right now, which you know, I think is a credit to Stafford for – Really, like they they brought Jim Caldwell in there with the idea that they wanted to change Stafford's style and to make him more of a controlled quarterback, and they've really done that. Um, he definitely takes some chances throwing into tight windows for sure. I put I actually put a piece out about this yesterday, um, but at the same time, he's typically running like a high percentage throw offense where they dink and dunk down the field, but it's very effective. They dominate time of possession, which hides their defense. They did that to a great degree down the stretch of the season. But you also have to wonder if this is their ceiling. Uh, and I think that you see that a lot with coaches. Like sometimes in order to get like out of the gutter, you need to have that kind of almost like an interim coach, somebody that's going to get you to this level. But there's probably another step that needs to take. And I don't, I don't think that Caldwell is that coach either. What's crazy is that like – so no one thinks that he can be like the head coach to push someone to that next level, but both the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, the, the Detroit Lions, are getting like head cho- head coaching looks. Yeah, I, that's weird to me. Like, I mean, for one, it's a very, and I think this is, doesn't get said enough, is just how different of a job being the head coach is than being the offensive or defensive coordinator. There's a lot of great offensive co- coordinators or, or defensive coordinators that just don't have the personality or the CEO mentality to, to change over into the head job. It's a completely different, it's not the same thing. And I think that's why you see a lot of guys go out there and fail and then maybe do a little bit better in the second stint that sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and I wonder if Jim Bob Cooter might be the next in line. Cause I love, I love JVC. I think they've done a really good job at constructing that offense around the strength of the players and having a good clear goal and they're a good team, but I wonder if, if you know, and I have no, I mean, I, hell, I have no idea how to tell you if he's the right guy or for the job or not, but I, I could easily see it being one of those situations where he just doesn't have whatever it is that it takes to be a head coach, but he's a great offensive coordinator. 
Yeah, and I, I know Justice has talked about this on the pod uh, in recent weeks, but they, they won a lot of those close games that came down to, you know, like literally the last drive in a handful of their games. So, I mean, those games are like coin flips. So how, how much stock can you really put into, like, a team that's always winning that like that way where they need to come from behind every single week it, it, it's like it's like the anti-chargers like the the chargers are always always in situations where they need to come back and win at the end of the game but they always lose and the lions just figured out how to win those games and I, I think when we see when we saw uh the lions face real competition like the two games versus the packers in that game against dallas i just i don't really think that they're a, a good football team so it, i think well, luckily a, they got seattle this week so yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Seattle's uh, falling to pieces right now. So I think it's definitely weird that their defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator are getting head coach looks when really neither side of the ball is that strong. Uh, one la- Let's take one last question from uh, Connor Manley. What's the direction the Bills need to take with their head coach and their quarterback situation? Man, is there... I don't know. I mean, because there's a lot, but that seems like just one of the most toxic situations to walk into right now if you are the head coach. And I can't really imagine wanting to get wanting to get involved there. Like, because so Doug Whaley's press conference yesterday, which was an epic disaster. I mean, if you listen to some of the even some of the clips, like the the beat writers are asking, like, I don't even know what you do for a living if you're not you know, in charge of firing the head coach, but you, the title of general manager, like what, you know, and really, they're really taking him to task, which is good. I think beat writers should do that to teams. That's what they're, that's what they're there for. Um, But so essentially Doug Whaley, like you can come away from his press press conference yesterday thinking several directions. One, he's lying about not knowing uh, that, that, or not being involved in Rex Ryan being fired, uh, which that's, that's bad because obviously you want a little more clarity than that. Two, the owner really did leave him out of the decision, and then so what is Doug Whaley even doing there? Or 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 three, he, I don't know. I don't even know what I don't even know what you can do other than, other than that. I mean, he's either he's either lying about it or there is there he's really left out in the cold. Uh, so I don't know. It's a I mean it's a mess up there in Buffalo right now. I can't imagine that they're going to be able to attract a good candidate, uh, but I think they need to go with somebody you know, on the offensive side of the ball because, you know, they have they don't have a lot of talent on offense. They have three – and I don't even know if Tyrod Taylor is going to be back. I would assume he's probably not going to be, which I think is another mistake. I think the best move would be to retain him and try to keep winning. Because you can't tell me that he's not one of the best, you know, 32 quarterbacks in the league, and that's probably even being generous. I think he's definitely a top 20 quarterback for sure. So I think you retain him and you bring somebody in on the offensive side of the ball to – Try and find compliments to a running back who's given you great production but is also aging and a number one receiver that you overspent for. You can clearly say that in hindsight and is always getting hurt. So I don't know. They need a lot of work on the offense, even though it has been a statistically productive offense because I think they have three great players there. I think you need something more, and I think that's where it needs to start. But really the biggest thing in Buffalo that needs to happen is they just kind of need to get their shit together as an organization. Yeah, so when you talk about – like it being toxic, right? You have to remember this is a this is a franchise that hasn't been to the playoffs for like 17 years or something like that, right? And they had not too long ago, they had a head coach walk off the job. Right. It was like, "Nah, there's only 32 of these NFL head coaching jobs on earth. Nah, I'm good. I don't need it." Like yeah. they they almost have to take an approach like in my opinion, at least outside looking in, right? They almost have to take an approach like Jacksonville did where they were like, "Look, we're going to like Here's our GM. Here's our head coach. We're going to commit to these guys to for years, no matter what you know, no matter what the results are, to prove to the rest of the league that we are a legitimate franchise that isn't just constantly going through turmoil. And because they've been close, like you know, they they've they, they've had down seasons, but they've also never been, you know, like the Browns level bad, like winning one game or picking number one overall. They haven't no, been like the, la- the last time that I can remember them having like a high pick was like 2011 when they got like Marcel Darius. Like other than yeah. that, they, have, they haven't been like bottom feeder of the league bad. In they're they're consistently picking or they're consistently picking around like 10 to 15 or something like that, you know, which is that's that's not good in and of itself, but it's just good enough to kind of for for the inside to tell themselves like oh we can bring in a Rex Ryan 
fix up the defense and become this tough-minded team. No, no, no. You need to view yourself as an operation that needs to take everything down to start completely over. And I think once they have that clarity, then we can start to have – like. It's all about having an honest conversation with yourself as an organization, and it does not sound like there's any sort of honesty right now in Buffalo. Yeah, and it, it, like we, you were talking about the Tyrod contract earlier. If they did accept the option on his deal, he would have the 20th ranked cap hit among quarterbacks in the league, which, I mean, when you, when you think about where he is, or at least for me, where you think about where he is talent-wise in the NFL, I, I think that's... A bargain um, yeah so I, I don't really get why people are not people but you know the bills organization is so hesitant on tyrod taylor when your defense just gave up 34 points to matt moore you know like two weeks ago so you had a really strong defense and for a while it kind of looked like buffalo was just you know a, a quarterback away when jim schwartz was the defensive coordinator there and they had a top five unit and they led the league in sacks and then Rex Ryan comes in and Tyrod comes in and the offense kind of starts to take off a little bit, but the defense just went to complete shit. So I don't know why you're you're trying to get rid of one of the few things that was working for you over the years. I would try to keep uh, Anthony Lynn because that offense was really cooking down the stretch and maybe just try to get somebody who can just bring some stability on offense because you know Rex Ryan just brought his brother in who was horrible in New Orleans and pretty much every other stop he was at to run the defense and of course that's going to fail cuz he hasn't worked anywhere else I'm kind of interested in this like uh Anthony Lynn Gus Bradley ticket what do you guys think about that uh, anything to stop playing that damn man defense in Buffalo Whatever you need to do to stop playing freaking man defense and sitting inside backers. And, like, they have pass rushers who aren't even really pass rushers because they just drop into coverage. I don't know. I really I really hate that, like, that Buffalo, New York Jets, Arizona Cardinals. I know people really like that type of defense. Man, I freaking hate it. I can't well, the thing, it. the thing is, like, it's a very much like a live by the sword, die by the sword proposition. And I think right. a really good example. I don't, tr- I don't trust DBs, man. I played on the line. I don't trust DBs. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a fair point, like, if you look at uh, if you look at like the Arizona had a statistically high ranking defense, and I think you could certainly poke holes in it throughout this season. Like I don't think they were actually as good as I mean they were like 15 number one ranked defenses this year, uh, you know by yards allowed or whatever, which just kind of goes to show you what kind of statistic that is. But you know at one point Arizona was in there, um, but then and when it goes when those defenses are cooking when they're going really well, like they're hard to deal with defenses, but. There's such a small, a small margin of error, uh, and when a good team comes along, like then the Drew Brees came into Arizona and just torched the Cardinals right in the middle of when they were in one of their better stretches. So that is definitely a, like when you beat when you beat that defense, you beat them bad. And I think that that's a pretty good point. Like when you can hit it and hit it right, people love it. But that sells people on the idea that it's always going to work well that way, and that's just not necessarily how it plays out. And it's easy to make that defense work when you have prime Darrell Rivas and prime Antonio Cromartie, who are just never going to get beat by right. by, mo- by like, by like, like 95 like Denver of works because they'll, they'll just throw out Roby and they'll just throw you know I mean they got three guys right yep so it's like they got Roby they got they got Talib like that they got Chris Harris like that that works if it's you know that works if that happens it's the same thing with like Seattle right Seattle can rush four and still get to your quarterback and that's why they're able to hang out and cover three where they got a three deep shell and they got four guys in the mid zone and they're only sending a four-man rush but it's because they have michael bennett cassius marsh uh cliff averill and frank clark rushing the quarterback where if you look at a team like jacksonville that tried to do that early on and they have no pass rushers that's not going to work at some point you have to play to your talent and the thing is buffalo they had kyle williams mario williams um jerry hughes like they had they had a legitimate defense uh marcel darius right they just drafted shaq lawson they have legitimate guys during the rex ryan era who could get after the quarterback if you sent four and he still was like no we're gonna send these inside backers and drop you know going to man yeah it's it's uh it's definitely you know like i said a very small margin of error and you know, even if you, your weak spots can be exposed so much when you play that much man coverage, if one of those corners starts to slip, uh, it's not good. You know, like in Arizona, again, nobody throws to uh, Patrick Peterson, but then this year that right cornerbacks, or well, he moves around. So the other cornerback spot, whether it was Marcus Cooper or Brandon Williams, 
teams just consistently picked on that guy. And same thing in Buffalo, too. Like when Ronald Darby or Stefan Gilmore are struggling, they'll get beat a lot. When they're on, it's fine. But, you know, again, it's a small margin of error. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up the question and answer session there. Matt, do you have anything you want to plug? Any projects you're working on coming up? Yeah, I mean, just just follow along uh, with uh, with everything that's going on uh, at, at NFL.com. Uh, I'm working on right now. I put the first piece out yesterday, uh, a, like a top ten list of next gen stats from uh, from the year. So le- yesterday it was uh, the most aggressive quarterbacks throwing into tight coverage. I'm hoping to have uh, most aggressive quarterbacks on third down piece coming out on Friday, and then a bunch of different positions I'll be covering. Um, maybe even potentially a, a pass rushers piece that I'm looking at too. So, you know, for your mm. listeners that are just, just pass rushing diehards, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps they'll, uh, they'll, they'll be interested in that. So you can find that, like, if you just search on Twitter, the hashtag and next gen stats, you'll find uh, all that content there or NFL.com slash next gen stats. That's probably the biggest thing right now. And then in the off season, I'll ramp up the backyard banter podcast and reception perception once again. So, uh, be, Stay tuned to all those things if it sounds interesting to you. All right, Justice, you got anything you want to say before we end this off? Uh, Just thank you, Matthew Harmon. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Matt. That was a really good podcast. Oh, man, thanks for having me, fellas. It's my pleasure. And we will see you guys next week for episode six of the Set in the Edge podcast where we're going to talk about Connor Cook, Brock Osweiler, Raiders-Texans playoff game. See you guys then.